all the electricity was out, and there was a really good possibility that electricity wouldn't come on until about 10 o'clock this morning. And uh, so we kind of talked back and forth a little bit. I texted Chuck, our chairman of our deacons, and told him to be ready to help people. We didn't know exactly what today was going to bring. And he came in this morning and said, I bet you were nervous all night long. I said, 10 years ago I would have been. I just went to bed. I said, nothing I can do about it. And I thought, well, as long as Charlie's here, I'll have someone to shoot at this morning from the pulpit. So, you know, but God made it. Actually, let me tell you, I went to bed and I dreamed about it, you know. And I remember in the dream, it was dark and people were leaving. I remember I hollered out, don't leave till we take the offering, you know. <laughs> That's that subconscious Baptist in me. <laughs> but we're glad, glad, glad you're here. Let's take our Bible this morning, okay? Let's go to Psalm 51, all right? Be sure you brought the hymn book, hymn book. And let's, if you don't have one, maybe there's one in front of you. We're going to be stacking some more soon. And we want to turn to Psalm 51, okay? Let me give you a really quick review of last week. It's going to be a quickie. Last week, we looked at the tragic ordeal of a tragic decision by King David. At a wrong time, he made a wrong decision. Adultery took place. People died. Kingdom began to shake on its foundation. Shared with you last week for a year. David wrote no songs. David played the cover-up game, but you know as well as I do that God never allows his children to get away with sin for long. Isn't that right? And Nathan came, the prophet came. Uh, confrontation happened. Uh, this is a quick review, but it was very emotional. Confrontation happened. David broke. David repented. When David started writing songs again, and I don't know if this was the first one or not, but I would imagine as, as his heart began to be warmed back up to the Lord and as his spirit began to move on his heart and his love for God was recaptured and his desires for God began to be renewed and David began, that sweet singer of Israel began to write again. I would just imagine that Psalm 51 was right at the very beginning of his writing, okay? That's going to be our subject this morning. We might, I don't have a screen thing. I uh, just didn't feel led that way. We might call this one the, the problem of sin, maybe. Next week, we'll be looking at Psalm 32, and we're going to talk about the blessing of forgiveness, okay? Maybe we'll say it this way, today, the pain of sin, and then next week, the joy of forgiveness. Uh, maybe that's a better way to handle the next two weeks. I, what I do know is this, that when the dam broke, we find a cascading river of confession. Word after word pours out from a heart deeply broken over sin. Not just that, but a heart deeply broken over a, a year-long pent-up type passion. Trying to cover up what everyone knew in the kingdom, especially God. In the explosion of words, gang, today... We're going to see some really deep theological truths. And, and, and I have to tell you, as I, as I studied the psalm again this week, what really grabbed hold of my heart is this is an emotional psalm. And he's pouring out emotion. It's flowing. But as he writes under inspiration of Scripture, there's so many theological pings 
that he brings out. It's incredible. That tells us that the Word of God was written by God through man, right? Because in this emotional frenzy, we find incredible theology. And I hope to bring that out. Would you stand with me? Psalm 51, 19 verses. We'll read all of them. The last two, I'm not going to deal with because I'm not sure why it's there. And so I don't want to just get up here and play like I know what I'm doing. (laughs) All right, verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. That's kind of a Hebrew poetry. Uh, There's a term for, he says, be gracious according, then according, do something. Okay, Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified, excuse me, justified when you speak, blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's interesting. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sustain me with a willing spirit. Then, and that then is understood. I'll talk about that. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. And then it understood. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor do good design, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offering, then young bulls will be offered on your altar. Father, in the next few moments, help me to unpack in an incredibly emotional but deep theological song that you inspired David to write. May I communicate, God, in a way that pleases you, in Christ's name, amen. All right, thanks, be seated. I don't know if you're a note taker or a uh, Bible scribbler, but let me kind of give you the outline that I'm going to the outline I'm going to follow, okay? Verses 1 through 6, you may want to bracket that. We're going to talk about David's cry. And so verses 1 through 6, we're going to see the explosion of David now that God is restored or is in the process of restoring, okay? Verses 7 through 12, we're going to talk about David's cleansing. There's going to be some wonderful terms of cleansing there. And then verses 13 through 17, we're going to talk for a moment about David's commitment. 
And let me just tell you right here what I think, okay? Me thinks that when you confess your sin and you have a sense of God's cleansing, God's forgiveness, then there's always going to be a demonstration from that. I don't buy into this thing that you walk down an aisle and you're saved or you get baptized and you're saved or you say, I said that prayer and then I just can go live anywhere I want to live waiting to die so I can go to heaven. I don't buy into that at all. When I study scripture, when I talk, uh, read about the perseverance of the saints and the preservation of God to the saints, everywhere you read, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, every time God got hold of a life and every time God grabbed hold of a life, there was always some demonstration from that life. We call it fruit. And, 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 and our roles are filled with names. But just a relatively few of the names on church roles are doing anything for God, demonstrating their life, showing fruit from their life. And so I believe this 13 through 17 shows us there was some real forgiveness, there was some real repentance, there was some real confession, and David, when he was restored, began to do what a believer does. He began to demonstrate from his life, touching other lives because of this great grace from God. Okay. Well, anyway, let's begin. Look at 1 through 6 with me for a moment. Let's talk about his cry, okay? I, I actually was going to give the title of the sermon this, Law Before Grace, okay? And the reason I was going to do that is because when you read verses 1 through 6, you realize that David knows something very profound, something we'd be well to be reminded of. David knows that according to the law, according to the Mosaic law, there is no forgiveness for deliberate murder and for deliberate adultery. No sacrifice. In fact, verse 16 says, if I could give a sacrifice, I would. But he couldn't because God wouldn't do it. There's no sacrifice for that. So according to the law, David's a dead man. When you break the law, you deserve hell. You deserve punishment. You deserve death. There's no reformation good enough. There's no merit good enough. I don't care how many times you promise to do better. Nothing. Death is the only penalty. And David's aware of that. Now, I want you to notice in verse 4 how he acknowledges God's holy nature. Look at verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned, done evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak. You're blameless when you judge. He knows very well the holiness of his God, the justice of God. He knows that if he got what he deserved, what the law required, what justice demanded, he would be a dead man. That's why here in this verse he cries out against you, and you only have I sinned. It's not that he did not sin against Uriah the Hittite. It's not that he did not sin against Bathsheba and the little son who died and the other men who died in battle, and the nation for that matter. But David knows that sin first and foremost is against the holiness of God. Do you understand that today? Oh, dear people, listen to me. Sin is not a mistake. It's a death sentence. Huh? Sin is not a stumble. It is a death sentence. The law requires death, and David knows this very well. And I think the reason there's so much emotion now is because for a year he's been waiting for the hammer to drop. He knows he's broken the law. He knows what the law requires. He's been waiting for a year for God to do what 
Justice requires. That's why there's so much emotion. Now, do you notice in verse 1, he doesn't cry for justice. He starts this psalm with a cry for grace. Notice verse 1, very important. Be gracious to me, O God. Now, notice, according to your loving kindness. According to is, is uh, you remember English, it's a little preposition. And a preposition gives direction or gives flow to a thought. David cries, be gracious according to. The word according to means something consistent with someone's nature or character. David's saying, be gracious according to that which is consistent with your nature. That which is consistent with your character. That which is consistent with your authority. God, all be I don't want the law. I want grace. And I want your grace in accordance to who you are. Your authority. Your nature. Your character. He knows full well what the law says, but he knows full well what God's nature is. Then he says, blot out. Kind of like the idea of water gushing out. Blot out according again. To your compassion. He knows that God is the God of compassion. He says, wash me. That means to purge. Cleanse me. Here's the idea of a bright light. A, a bright, restore to me the brightness is what he's saying. Do you see him clinging here to God's mercy? Gang, the only way we can come to God is to come crying for his mercy. huh? God, don't give me what I deserve. We call to God for his grace. Don't give me or do give me what I don't deserve. Mercy and grace is our call to God. David knows, and we do well to know today, that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. God will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. And oh, dear people, listen, we don't want justice. huh? We don't want justice. Our cry is for mercy. And that's a deep theological, that's a theological ping that he goes here in our psalm. Let me give you another theological thing. Look at verse 4. He acknowledges his sinful choice, doesn't he, in verse 4? Against thee, the only, have I sinned? I have done what is evil in your sight. Do you see that? But he also, so he, he, he acknowledges sinful choice. Right after that, in verse 5, he acknowledges his sinful nature. Look at verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now listen to me. He's not saying that sex is sinful. It can be. And part of his problem is that he had sexual sin in his life. That's what started this whole ball rolling. But he's not saying sex is sinful. And he's not making excuses for what he did. David is stating a deep theological truth. He's talking about the depravity of man in original sin. Now, original sin is not the act of Adam eating the forbidden fruit in the garden, folks. It's the result and the effect of that eating. What he wants us to know is that man is a depraved man. That there's something fundamentally flawed in the heart of man. You see, David's telling us that we have a sin nature. And it's the sin nature that leads to sinful acts. 
We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. That's back to verse 1. We see his cry. Grace, grace. We sing it sometimes. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. So we see his cry. Let me, let me summarize the first six verses this way. Number one, sin's personal. When you begin reading verse 1 through verse 6, you know what you find? You find a lot of personal pronouns. Go back and look at it. Me, mine, over and over. My transgressions. Wash me, cleanse me, my sin. I know my transgressions, my sin, you see. Sin's personal. You can blame it on whoever. But gang, you've got to come to understand that you are the sinner. That it is you not others. We're in a blame game society, are we not? Very few people stand up and say, hey, it's not them, it's me. Sin's personal. You, I, David, has sinned. Sin is punitive. It brings punishment. David knew what the law stated. And he knew that if God in his justice acted, that David would get the full blunt of the law. It's punitive. Sin is perishable. It brings death. I want to tell you what I think, David. That year he tried to cover it up, I think he was a walking dead man, and he knew it. He tried to sit on the, on the throne and act right. He tried to talk right. He tried to walk right. But the whole time inside of him, he had to be saying, I'm a dead man. I wonder when it's going to happen. I wonder when it's going to come. So sin is personal. Sin is punitive. Sin is punishable, perishable. But gang, listen to me. Sin is not permanent. That's why he cried for grace. That's why he asked for God's loving kindness. That's why he cried for God's compassion. And I hope today you can understand that. Dear people, we need to understand that we're transgressors. That's what David said. We've crossed the boundary line. I've hunted on other people's property without permission. That's called transgression. I'm good at it, okay? We're people of iniquity. It means to be crooked. There's a perverse nature within all of us. We're people of sin. We've missed the mark. We're evil, is what David says. But, oh, dear people, there's grace consistent for us that is consistent with God's nature, you see. God's grace. I, we were at prison last Sunday night, and I got, to, I got to preach to like 70 ladies. Some of our people were there, and, and um, I, I had the, the joy of telling them that God's grace is greater than our sin. Is our sin bad? Oh, yeah. It's death, man. You break the law, you die, see. But the grace of God has more power than our sin. That's why David cries for sin, cries for grace to cover his sin, see? All right, secondly, look beginning verse 7 through 12, and notice his cleansing, okay? He uses a pretty interesting idea, purify me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow, and then he goes on to talk about joy and gladness, the bones which have been broken, Hide your face from my sin. 
blot out all of my iniquities, my crookedness. You see, David knows there's no remission of sin without blood. That's why he used that term hyssop. The words purify me with hyssop referred back to the Exodus. Uh, hyssop was a, a small brush-like plant. And when God was getting ready to deliver the, the nation of Israel from Egypt, what did he tell them? He said, take hyssop, dip it in blood. Taste, take the blood and put it across the door and down the sides of the door. And when the death angel comes, the death angel will pass over. Here's what he's saying. Cover me with your blood. There is no remission of sin without a blood sacrifice. We see it all the way through the Old They didn't realize that the lambs in the Old Testament were the pictures of Christ in the New Testament. They never got it. They don't get it today, by the way, Israel doesn't. Most of them, okay? But David knew full well. There had to be a sacrifice of blood. That's why he says, purge me, cover me, wash me, make me whiter than snow. Notice he says, when I lived in sin, I lost my joy, my gladness. Sin takes an emotional toll on people. My bones were broken. Sin takes a physical toll on people. Some folks die because they've never come to terms with their sin, and physically they die. I could not find your face, he said, spiritual pain. Notice verse 10. God recreate, the word created me there in verse 10, goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, when God created the world. He's basically saying, create in me like you did at the beginning, a new heart. I said, recreate, perhaps better create in me a new heart. Make my spirit stand erect. That's what he says. Don't take your favor from me. Don't take the Holy Spirit hand off of me. I'll tell you, gang, we preachers know who we are. We know that we battle the same things that you battle. My prayer has always been, God, I'd rather die than have your hand come off of my life. Death is far better then try to live as a Christian without the blessing and the smile and the power and the anointing of God on my life. You ever hear me dead before my time? You, you wonder if something happened because I'm telling you, I'd rather be out of this world than live fake, see, than live a hypocrite. So he says, create in me. There's emotional, there's spiritual pain. Verse 10, create my heart. You ever cry that kind of a prayer, have you? That's the prayer of a prodigal that has come home to daddy's table. You see, when a sinner stands up and says, I have sinned against the holiness of God, and I know what the sentence is, but I know the grace of Almighty God, then God always responds to that. So David cries. David's cleansed. And then verses... 13 through 17, we find his commitment. Let's read that. And like I said, there's an understood then. I don't know if your Bible has then in it. Mine is, has then, but it's italicized, which means that's not in the original. It was added by somebody for clarity. So in beginning in verse 13, after you, well, verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation, your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit, and then 
I'll teach transgressors your ways. Then sinners will be converted. Deliver me, O God, God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Open my mouth that my mouth, my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. When repentance is real, when grace is granted, I want to tell you, living is never the same. You hear me? Living's never the same. These people who say they've repented, the people who say I, I, I've been saved, but nothing changes in their life. They're not saved. I don't mean to be harsh on you or your loved ones. I'm telling you, the Bible says that, you see. Anybody can say anything, and we'll believe it. But God knows the heart. And so as David writes under inspiration, he's wanting us to know that, that when restoration takes place in our heart, and I know that, that, listen, I know that even though we're saved, we still sin. I understand, I understand the seasons of sin and, and all of that, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm saying if there is no conviction, if there's no turning back, if there's no change in your life, then you can't say according to Scripture that you really know uh, the Lord Jesus, that there's been a transformation of your heart, a, a forgiveness of sin, a conversion take place. Verse 13 and 14. Then, when I'm forgiven and restored, it's then and only then I'll teach transgressors thy ways. I will lead sinners to God. Then my tongue shall praise thee. Of thy righteousness. My mouth will declare your praise. My sacrifice will be humility and contriteness, brokenness. You see, God only, listen, God only uses broken people. Huh? God only uses broken people. He won't waste his time on arrogance, prideful. Independent attitudes, why should he? God loves sinners. When you read the New Testament, the only ones that got really, uh, the Lord Jesus really attacked were who? The religious fakes. The religious muckety-mucks, you know? Because he can't stand arrogance and pride. He only uses broken people. He gave his son for sick people, for broken people. God loves sinners. And if you know that you're a sinner today, that you've broken the law and, and it's worthy of death, and you realize that God in his grace forgives, then I want you to know that God loves you as well. John Calvin wrote these words, Grace is the incorruptible seed of God, which can never perish in any heart where it has been deposited. I like that. See? Because God's always calling us back. God's always restoring the prodigal. That's why David was forgiven. That's why David was restored. The grace that saved him was a grace that restored him. I don't know if you ever read uh, Warren Wearsby, one of the great preachers, writers of our day, I think is Warren Wearsby. 
If you want to get a handle on a book of the Bible, a general sense of the book of the Bible, uh, Warren Wearsby is where you go. We tell our Sunday school teachers, uh, you need to read Warren Wearsby as you prepare your Sunday school. And I was reading his little commentary. He has these little series called B series, Be Smart, Be Wise, that kind of idea. And it would be well for you to invest in that, by the way. In his little commentary on this section, he said, David makes three cries. Number one, he cries, cleanse me. Number two, he cries, restore me. And then number three, he cries, use me. And I love that. In fact, I read that and I thought, why didn't I think of that? I could have said that. I could have wrote that book. And I could have, you know, I had a book published. Because it's so simple and yet it's so profound, is it not? Oh, God, I've sinned against you. I've done that which is evil in your sight. There's a part of me, there's a nature in me that's against you, God. I got it naturally. It was passed down from my family lineage. And so, God, I make these bad choices because there's a bad nature. There's a propensity in me that likes to sin and turn away from you, see? Oh, God. Cleanse me. But not just cleanse me, God. Restore me. God, I have to have a purpose here. There's a reason for me to be cleansed. I want to tell other people about you. I want to declare your praise. I want to, I want to be the leader of the worship band. It's not about music at all. It's about your life exhibit. Restore me that I may proclaim your name in all the nations. Use me, God. Use me. Use me till I'm through. When I'm through, get me out of here quick. You know, I want to go like my dad in a tornado. We all were shook up when that happened, and, you know, that immediacy of it kind of was hard, but I later I got thinking, if you got to go, that's the way to go. You know, this long, drawn-out thing my mother went through, Man, I tell you, I don't want to, I just, when I'm through, God, use me, when I'm used up, get me out in a hurry, you know. You ever made a cry like that, have you? You know, maybe today would be a good day for you to cry out, cleanse me, restore me, ease me. Let's pray.